What's going on, guys and gals? My name is Chris Sondervold, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where we try to find people that have found that balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. This episode, we feature Washington, D.C.-based hip-hop artist Artemis. We go through everything from how he first got into hip-hop, what internet rappers are missing, and the importance of taking care of yourself before your body gives up. Artemis will have two EPs coming out this fall, Enshrouded Angels on September 10th and Enshrouded Devils on October 10th. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Spotify, and subscribe on Google Play or however you get your podcasts. Thank you for everything. Here's the show. Enjoy. So I think the first time that I saw you was all the way back in IOTA. Oh, I did a couple of different shows at IOTA. The last show I did there, it was like a tribute thing. It was a 90s tribute thing. It's kind of messed up that show because <laughs> I was doing this old Razzcast song. He has such a um, crazy cadence. Yeah. You know, it's hard to do that. Because of the way he raps. I think that's the actual set that I saw too. That's one you know what that is one of one of my worst sets, I think. Really? I think so. I think I could have did better. Cause but the thing is I don't do covers. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Like in hip hop and rap, covers are a new thing. See, that's the thing of pacing yourself and knowing what you can and can't do. Yeah. I wish I could have had it where more people heard that song beforehand and then knew what I was talking about because it's not like uh, Miami Life, that's one of my favorite songs of all time. Right. You know, it was on the, uh, it was originally on the, uh, the substitute soundtrack. The movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check out, uh, the movie and read the credits for it in the soundtrack. It has Raz Cass's Miami Life on it. And it was, I don't, can't remember if it was the lead single, but that song ended up on his album, Solo Nights, which is pretty much one of my top five albums of all time. That's fantastic. I had no idea. It's crazy. And the funny thing is, I had that song memorized. But I couldn't, I could not land his cadence. Yeah. It's one song that takes a lot of breath control to do. To your point about hip hop covers, yeah, that's harder to do than regular traditional band covers. Oh, completely. Completely. Because yeah. everything falls on you first. Right. There's no guitar to kind of take over everything. Right. There's no other like stage presence to take over anything. Okay. And then on top of that, people speak completely differently and then also rhyme completely differently yeah so that cadence that you're talking about i feel like that's so much harder than just trying to sing a cover in your way yes that's true oh that's true and that's why it was it was tough i remember when i got hit up to do it and i was kind of like uh, i'm not sure what kind of songs they want me to do i know i'm going to end up being the only rapper there right i was like i can't do anything that he already know i was like i had to do something that i knew for real but it was tough, though, because it's funny. When you think you know a song, you don't know the song. Right. And that's true with any cover, because there's stuff you figured out. You're like, oh, I didn't know about this. So I, I dig it. I'm pretty sure that show was the first time that uh, I saw you. Mm -hmm. For me, being in like a fan of that scene, like Northern Virginia, mm -hmm. D.C. scene, which you are very much a part of, there's not that many hip-hop artists that are blended in with that. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of us. I mean, shouts to my man Flex Matthews, who I've been in battles and wars with for years. That's my brother from another. He's been the one to really take it to that level before a lot of us. The way he's doing it, let me say that. The way he's doing it is definitely like not like other people have done it. Before us, I mean, you had like Poem C's who had like songs with bands and he had like 3LG that came out of um, Infinite Loop. 
they had like their whole live set performance, like on a CD from State of the Union. Like there are like a lot of these different live groups that are infusing like rappers yeah. with their set, but it, I don't think it ever like picked up to the point where people took like a lot of notice, you know. The scene now it's like, dang, you there are way more bands than I remember. Right. That are trying to like do other things aside from just like go go and, and punk. And you know, there might be a little bit of hip hop there. And rock has always been around, but now it's just like all kinds of stuff. Now and jazz has always been pretty big here, but even that's even more like more people are getting into jazz where it's like very experimental and all these different things. And you see a lot of these different genres infusing rappers into what they're doing. Yeah. So I grew up on like punk, 60s stuff, country, heavy metal, all that stuff I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And then I just got into hip hop like the later half of my, my life. Mm-hmm. In my 20s, I started listening to it a lot more. Oh, cool. I've always felt to me, because I, I think I've listened to just so much rock based stuff right. like so much traditional band stuff that the only new stuff that i feel like is coming out is hip-hop because there's so many different styles that are coming out and that infusion that you're talking about with the different traditional stuff where you're going more experimental where you're going to to different feels for it like look at look at a group like clipping they're doing crazy stuff all the time, just yeah. recording wise, and then on top of the way that they edit and bring all that stuff together, and then you have Davy Diggs that is just a madman on the mic anyway. Yeah, for me, hip hop always seems to be like pushing different boundaries, especially when you have so much technology right now too that everybody is doing stuff from their house. Right, and that's been helpful and hurtful. I think it's been helpful for the people that have honed their craft and. Either you want to push the envelope or you want to like do something personal. I think it's been very great and it's been able to infuse like more sounds. It's hurtful when it becomes very cookie cutter yeah. and everybody's like, I could jump in, I could be a rapper now. Like it's very complicated if you really, really get into it. You know, in no disrespect to any of the SoundCloud rappers out there, anything like that. But there's one thing that they're missing from it. And it's crazy that we're in a pandemic too. Right. But the element of social interaction is very key. But that social interaction comes with like, you know, these face-to-face battles, uh, certain things where you're fellowshipping with people, maybe not even freestyling, but just trying to like do anything performance-based wise as far as rap and hip hop goes. There's a certain social key that's missing with that with some of these kids. I mean, you know, they can definitely all day probably rap their heart out online with auto-tune and all that, but they might not be able to do that in front of people. Yeah. It's possible that some of these guys, you know, they might be influenced by a lot of the auto-tune trap crowd, and it's all they can do. Same with some of the boom bap. I mean, they, they might like that very rough, like Sean Price style. Yeah. And they try to carry on the tradition. It sounds good, but the social interaction element of being face-to-face with people and being in rooms with them and everything, so for some of them, it doesn't take place in that world and they wind up getting big because you know somebody had to re-promote them in some way right right but no disrespect to them at all you gotta get it how you get it it's something that i always think about because when you look at hip-hop and even like pop music too Mm -hmm. you're looking at stuff that it starts off 
underground internet based like SoundCloud, right? Right. And then they put all their work into those songs and crafting those songs and yeah. and trying to just put out stuff and put out stuff and put out stuff to get yeah. their name out there. But what I feel like is missing, and this is me way outside looking in, right? Yeah. They don't play live shows. Yeah. Like what you're talking about, they might do those battles, but I don't even see that nearly as much as you saw 15, 20 years ago. And the battle thing is so is it's such a different world now. They're trying to make it more of a sport. Right. But yeah, part of it is like just doing shows, you know. There's trials and tribulations with that. That I think if a lot more rappers went through that, they would be very grateful for that. Some some rappers you just need like whether you have a good show or a bad show, you just need like that experience because you can take it with you back to the booth and apply it. Right. You can apply what you like learn, good or bad ways. And you definitely need both of them. I've had plenty of great shows and I've had plenty of horrible shows, but took something from each of them. I've been able to like put it together and make something into it. Well, you also got to have it to where just your, your whole track just disappears live. Right, you gotta have that adversity. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and actually, you know, and and on a live stream that actually happened to me uh, last week when I was Did on the fake four stream. Yeah, I was <laughs> on the fake four stream, and it was funny because I ended my set. I think I, I think I timed out my set perfectly. Right, they're like, oh yeah, you performed enough anyway. And I was like, I had one or two more too. My interface just started acting stupid. Just out. stopped. Yeah, yeah. It's it was just, it's sensitive. Like you know, it, you can't. <laughs> You can't move to the left or right, and then right. just cuts out. You're like, well, I didn't even move for real. And you look, you're like, oh, I, I, I did. You're right. <laughs> I think that would be like the most frightening thing, but it's something that you should learn, right? Like, if oh, completely, if you're on stage, and that's that's one thing where because um, there's there's a couple spots in Southern Maryland that will have like hip hop shows. They're very few and far nah. between right now. Uh, well, okay. not right now because of the pandemic, but just overall, like the, the past couple of years, they're very uh -huh. few and far between. But you got to be able to get on that stage and just let it happen and get yeah. get the live feel for it. But then also, like, you have to figure out how to overcome the technical snafus that are definitely going to to go in there and keep the crowd popping too. Because as soon as you lose that, you're the only one that's on stage. Like as soon as you lose that you lost the whole show, right? Oh, completely. Well, first of all, try to make friends with the sound man as much as you can. Yeah. If the sound man is a dick to you and you already done, like, <laughs> did everything you could to make his life better, his or her life better, you know, like, it's just, it is what it is. Just work through it. Because I've had, I've, I've had both. I've had some great sound, sound people I've worked with and some terrible sound people. But yeah, that's, that's one thing. And like, yeah, you definitely got to be able to like improvise on the spot, like knowing what to do when those things happen. Just be like, all right, well, I got to do this now. Okay, let me do that now. Like you just take it on your feet. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Like you, you just got to be able to just know to make a split decision to keep the uh, show moving. I think you just need to understand what, what people can gravitate to when you're doing a show. You know, if the crowd isn't feeling you, like you could do. You can maybe do something funny if you know how to do that. Nothing, nothing too crazy out of ordinary, but like you know, you just try to keep it moving and make sure that the show is still flowing. The world is yours when they're, they're loving right. you, whatever you do. Let's say like playing into an empty room. That's it's a mind trip. 
But if you play to a, to an empty room, you still got pretend there's like fifty thousand people. Yeah, I like it. Uh, how did you get started? When I was about, I want to say when I was about probably about eight, my sister had a Grap's Greatest Hits tape that I think I actually still have somewhere, and I, I it had like um, Roxanne Chante, UTFO. Uh, Curtis Blow, just that era of hip hop, and I was intrigued by it. I actually wrote my first rap at a church before, like a, um, this like presentation. I can't remember. It was like some youth presentation thing, and it was like me and these two other kids. I wrote the raps for all of us, for real. And I wrote like because I had, by then for some reason I understood how it worked to rap, yeah. And I figured out how to write some bars, and like I was battling the kids. <laughs> like it was like a whole play. So I told these I, I just remember telling the kids, you need to go to Sunday school or something like that. <laughs> like, oh! It was crazy. So it's so that Christian was like, battle rap. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Christian battle rap. <laughs> Which is funny, there are Christian battle rappers, but that's a different topic. Yeah, that's a completely different topic. I didn't yeah, know that yeah, that was a thing. Yeah. And they're dope too. Don't get twisted. They're dope. Okay. Um, All right. There's Christian hardcore, so I guess yeah. Why not? Yeah, they're kind of they kind of hardcore too. So it's right, funny. yeah, yeah, okay, that's funny. About thirteen, I got a little bit more serious, though. You know, if I had to do it over, I wouldn't have listened to a lot of people that told me it's not a, a realistic goal because you got to think about it. When people, by the time I was thirteen, people were looking at a lot of rappers like you got a record deal, you're this or that. Yeah, you know what's weird is at the same time. I'm coming to this age of just like understanding that me and my homeboys, we're just like, we're down South in Nashville, Tennessee, mind you. We're into like some of the South stuff, of course, but the East coast has influenced us and the West coast has influenced us. We're like, listen to like hieroglyphics, pumping right. the our soul. We're like all over the map, public enemy, all that. I think we saw the shift in the game. We were just like, they were just like starting to be like more gangster rappers. And we were just like, nah, you can't listen to the radio like that because it's starting to shift. I don't know how we came up with this, but we were young talking about this. So me and one of my homies were just like, nah, we ain't messing with the radio, man. Forget all that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I really got into it when I got into high school. I was listening to one of my other albums of all favorite albums of all times, uh, Bizarre Ride to the Far Side. That got me through some tough times and actually taught yeah. me a lot about just putting together an album. I was listening to like Dig Up a Planets a lot. First album for sure. For some reason, it just got immersed in that world and I started learning about what freestyling was. Yeah. I started collecting records. Like I started just getting really into hip hop and I tried to play with the elements. I tried to DJ. Okay. I had these terrible Leaner Tech records, Leaner Tech turntables that just were awful. I wanted to <laughs> save money, got these Leaner Techs. It sucked. But I, I DJed a couple of parties with them. So this is like old school DJ. This is like proper DJ. Oh, yeah. That's the good stuff, man. You mentioned Diggable Planets. I remember seeing them on, like, I think it was MTV or something for the mm -hmm. first time and being like, I didn't even know this was out. Yeah. It's all like regular, like what you were talking about. It's just all that mainstream radio that, that you get. Yeah. Uh -huh. And as soon as I saw Diggable Planets, I was like, okay, well, I love that. I need way more of that. That baseline that's in there, that just everything, how yeah. smooth is it is, is what like took me to that style. And like De La Soul, MF Doom is always one of my favorites and just the way that, yeah. that he builds everything. Um, but Odyssey... 
the way that mm-hmm. a he he raps and then the the songs that he comes out with all of that is just amazing to me and right. it's it's been it's been i got hooked on that i remember that diggable planets um oh nickel nickel bag of funk i nickel think bag. is what it was yeah, that, that music video yeah yeah and they just looked so cool i was like i'm i'm such a dork like i'm never going to be that cool like ever yeah it made me think about that 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 was such an amazing thing and then i've gotten to the point where i just listen to like turntablists so like yeah invisible scratch pickles i think yeah invisible scratch pickles yeah yeah so i'll just listen to that and that's amazing to me too because the intricacies of that if you don't have a good board if you don't have a good uh good turntable right there you're kind of you're kind of screwed right and it's funny you bring up turntablism because at the same time i'm trying to learn how to rap i'm building my ear for the sound that i kind of want to have so at some point in life i stumbled upon dj shadow okay at some point in life i'm listening to dj cam or dj vadim i'm listening to like i'm getting more into the beats of everything yeah and I didn't know it would play a role in life of me trying to do production. Um, that took a while, too, because, I mean, so, like, learning how to rap in the beginning was tough because there wasn't really a manual or anything you could just pick up, like, not where I'm from. There might have been how to rap, like, books in New York or, like, L.A. or <laughs> Chicago, something like that. And they did have them. They did have them, actually. <laughs> I didn't have that. So, for a while, I really didn't know what to do rap-wise. So I was just all over the place. I just had a lot of energy. And I was like, like just yeah. going crazy. And um, see, I didn't really figure it all out until I got into college. I was already freestyling a lot, but I was really like battling and doing all kinds of just writing. Like people, people to this day tell me like, yo, man, I used to be on campus, like writing like bars all the time when I was freestyling. And nobody thought I did homework. And I was like, well, <laughs> I did, but- well, you funny. are doing homework. You're, you're, it's just a yeah, different kind of homework. So um, you said you're from Tennessee, so from Nashville. Nashville yeah, yeah. So because I was, so I was thinking about this. I don't know really any rappers from Tennessee. Yeah, when we there, there's a lot of people, man. I mean, shouts to um, shouts to Gummy Soul. Um, I don't, I don't think my man Curtis Stanley. I don't know if he raps as much as he used to, but he was dope. And Gummy Soul. That's that's uh, Wally Clark, who I I didn't get to meet him until like I went to A3C one year, okay. and I ran to my man Curtis Stanton. Wally Clark and uh, Amerigo Gazeaway. They used to. I don't think he's with Gummy Soul anymore. But Wally Clark is the dude who I was like, yo, he's putting he's putting Nashville on the map in that sense. Then you had um, Count Base D. Now Count Base D came. I think he came from somewhere else, but he was in Murfreesboro a lot and got his okay. and had his deal there. But Count Base D is like legend. I consider him one of the goats where where I'm at in our state. We had like Utopia State who influenced me a lot. They they were actually one of the very few groups that just showed me that yo, I don't have to be gangster thugged out. I can like do I can be me and just right. run with. It. Right, right. We have my man DJ Cool Out. I didn't see him as much, but Cool Out was like around. He was a dope rapper. It was the Grits, yeah, the Grits and uh, Notaverbs. They were um, Christian rappers. They, okay. were really, they were good. Like uh, the Grits had a pretty big buzz uh, due to Goatee Records, and they put out some pr- some pretty good records. They stopped around mid two thousands. Okay, I think Notoverbs kind of did the same too. But 
they they put in the work. And there was like other people, like Tennessee has a lot of different rappers. I mean, there was on the gangster side of things. I mean, you had stuff like Tom Ski Mask, um, the stuff from like all from a Slav House. I mean, South Circle. Yeah. Of course, Eight Ball MJG. Of course, there's Young Buck. Actually, me and Young Buck went to the same school. I didn't even notice. <laughs> Young Buck went to school, high school after I did for a year and left. Okay. I met him at the Million Man March one year, and he was handing out these tapes he had with his homie D tape way back. This is before he got the G unit. I was literally talking to this man before he made his way down to uh, New Orleans to tr- almost get up with Cash Money Records. That's crazy. One of the coolest people, too, man. People yeah. don't know. Like, Young Buck was a- actually a very cool dude. And me and him just chopped it up just for like maybe like 15 or 20 minutes. And I was surprised because by then I'm in DC a lot. Right. I hadn't heard of him, but he was on the other side of the game doing his numbers, man. And that's, that's awesome. Yeah, man. Like, Young Buck was a really good dude, man. Like, when I, when I met him and chopped it up with him, I was like, yeah, he's. He's doing he's doing his thing. Good rap. To your point, you know, you were you're talking about like you didn't really have kind of that uh, what a that scene, so to speak, yeah. right? So yeah. especially like New York or California, you, you're not getting that kind of that exposure to it. You're not being able to see that different side of it. Right. Right. You know, you talk about Nashville as like Music City, but it's really just like a certain style of music. It's not everything that's all encompassing, which is crazy to me because you would think that with all the resources there, that someone is just making beats and, and going in there and killing it. And we just don't know. I think there's always been that hunger, but you got to think about it when you're outnumbered to the popular opinion. It, yeah. It's crazy. I feel like. Had I stayed there, I could probably have done something more and I could probably like put together something, facilitate something to get things popping. But it was tough. I mean, the pressures to be to fit in a particular scene is there and like people would do anything and say anything to be on. I kind of enjoy just being like, nah, I'm not doing that. Right. Because, because I mean, there's there's certain rules to it though. I mean, like if you run into some people, some extra hood people, let's say, let's say it's not even just, about hip hop and rap for a second. Let's just say that, like, all right, a basic thing. You can't lie about what side of town you're from, what projects you're from. You can't lie about that because people do their research, find out, they're like, okay, you're not from there. So think about it. If you are for perpetuating a certain kind of lifestyle on record, yeah, it'll catch up with you, and you might get what you asked for. You might get something that you never wanted, right? And I was always weary of that. I was like. It's it's funny, like learning how to rap in that time and then that coming to you. Yeah. It gave me kind of clarity on what I needed to do. I was like, you know, I want to rap, but I don't want to do that. I need to do this. Like I said, I'm learning from like the BDPs. Yeah. I'm learning from the high roads. I'm learning, well, you know, ghetto boys, you know, common, all these guys, they're they're putting me on game. And I just took that. It just kind of helped mold my mind state. It was hard to find different people like that in Nashville that I could share that bond with. Like my man Jeff Rowe and Onesie, they had Nashville, Nashville um, records, break records. They were trying to do stuff. I couldn't get up with them. Like there were a couple of people like made beats, but you know, that when that support isn't there, like yeah. you yeah. don't want to do it as much. My man, oh yeah, one of the dopest rappers I ran into and I wish he got more praise. This cat, his name was Power. He, called, he spelled it P-O- W A H. 
I remember I would go to TSU's campus every once in a while. And for some reason, I'd run into this guy. It was dope just like kicking it with him because he would have some of the best like freestyles I'd ever heard. And I don't think I've ever been able to talk about him on record, but I have to. He he was literally would like freestyle for hours and like teach me so much. That's fantastic. Yeah, he's yeah, man. I wish I knew where he was at now because he he definitely like helped help mold me a little bit in a little time that we got to kick it. Yeah. And I never get to ever talk about how, you know, there's a lot of places like Nashville. Right. When it comes to like hip hop or or whatever. It's just like it's confined to just this certain thing. And it's hard for people to kind of like branch out into these different genres. That's why I like what you were saying like earlier about now that hip hop has gone to these different like like different ways of like creating. Yeah. It's it's becoming like better for people to pr- express themselves. And that's what seems like my hometown need needed for real. Right. I'm not gonna say it needs it now because I think it's way better. Um, I think I think it's more people being able to, you know, express themselves however they want. But at the time when I was coming up, it just didn't feel like I could do anything. Yeah. Well, if you look at even DC now, that I feel like that's completely changed from what it was years and years ago. Where you know when people talk about DC, go go is definitely a thing, but it's also. Yeah punk it's a, it's also all yeah. that aggression that's in there and really there's not much in between and it has completely molded into a, a whole other animal now i feel like just being part of some of the shows as far as like me being an audience member seeing all the different stuff that is coming out of there and then mm-hmm. all the different collaborations and from what i've seen from you like you are just as busy as ever, even during the pandemic, because you're doing all these different projects. You have your your hand in so many different pots. I think that's amazing because that makes it to where it's such an eclectic mix. And this is this is one little area that I really like seeing that where it's it's way more of a community and everybody kind of coming together with it. Yeah, and that's funny how it that happens. I mean, a couple of times I'm almost quit, and like three things will land in my lap. <laughs> and it's almost like the universe is telling you to keep going. Yeah. I'm, okay, keep going. <laughs> and it's funny that it, that happens that way. You know, it's crazy. Like, for me to branch out like I did, it all started really when I did my first EP. My very first EP, Life is a Humbling, humbling Experience. I actually met these guys through... See, I always mix this up. There was a there was a homeboy of mine, the Spy Kid. His name was Andy. He rapped. But I think I met three guys through him. They were an indie rock band called TV Set Fire way back in the day. Okay. It was like the drummer, his name was Seth Nations. He made beats on a um, Akai, I think it was a Akai S90 or something. He had he had something that was close, almost close to an NPC. For some reason, I, I got up with them one day. I was I was actually on a college break. Okay. Got together with them. And we just put together a lot of concepts. So I would build with the drummer about the beats or whatever. And they were crazy beats. They were just like some, it was stuff that close to what I'd heard. Yeah. But there was nothing like I heard either because it was, because like I said, at the time I'm getting into DJ shadow. Right. Dummy is one of my favorite records. And it's a, it's a different way of thinking about 
beats and drums because they're yeah. looking at it a completely different way than just keeping exactly what you're what you're saying. See, and that's what that, that's what caught me off guard with the drummer because he really knew his stuff about making beats somehow, and he was putting yeah. it together. So the uh, the basses and the guitars they were brothers related, and they would um, do the recording, mixing, and mastering. We knocked out a total of um, fourteen songs. Ended up like rocking with seven of those. It took a couple of years because I was in school. Sure. I was still trying to figure things out. Like school courses are important, but in DC, it's funny going back and forth from Nashville, DC. It was like I could not record anywhere in DC and have it go smooth. <laughs> like it was, it was the weirdest thing. I, like I would be in a studio, I would be in like, like a homie studio and so either something would break, somebody would do something crazy, oh, or the, the homies had enough, and then he don't want to like record nobody. Either. Right, right, like, right. In DC, it kept happening. I go back down south, and the studio I recorded at they they had a house that was in East Nashville. It was really really dope. It was called Slipstream Studios. I would go in there and knock out anything. I paid them of course, but yeah. it was like it was nothing. Like we we got so much done. That's awesome. Yeah, that that took a couple of years to to make, and then for a while, I couldn't really find anybody else to work with because they those guys all moved. Like I said, I'm starting like more and more. My ears starting to develop. Yeah, I'm working with like nonprofits, um, for like you know, like different performances involved. That's like involving art for social change. I'm sure we're doing our sitcom um, performances because we're like doing the R&B rap thing. That was and she was singing. And doing poetry and might rap every once in a while. I was doing the production and rapping. So we had that going. And again, my ear is developing more. Right, right, right. Dang, I want to say after a couple of projects, because like I linked up with uh, Metaphysical, DJ Metaphysical, when he was ha- used to have his studio. So far, yeah, Fark Records. I knocked out three projects there all the same time. And then I was like, hey, Jesus, that's been from like 2000 and three to like 2010 11 about that time is when the live band thing started coming into play more for me okay i want to say around then if i'm not mistaken things started picking up more when you saw more of the live aesthetic aside from just like gogo and punk yeah you know gogo has its own like scene that's rich in history along with punk even indie rock let me say right. indie rock in particular but for me in general it started picking up around two. I, it's got to be 2011 or two, 2012 when I started making more noise with the bands because seven drum. Well, now seven drum city. You yeah. know, they were around. Flash band was starting. Like Flash band was its own thing at the time, and they were um, doing competitions. More of the people that are around the city now, because now you have more. You have these musicians coming out now. Right. They have like these very high profile jobs <laughs> most likely they have a high profile job yeah, they yeah, yeah. here and they just want to be able to play out so when flash band was by itself and i did hip-hop flash band i came in second as the mc and we were encouraged to do the hip-hop band flash band or whatever i forgot what it was called wound up getting in contact with ian taranji about doing something so I wound up joining those guys. We were called D for Dilla because he wanted to do all these Dilla covers. And later on, we became the lucky so-and-sos after the show. Right. Okay. Okay. That's the shortest version I can take that. <laughs> a lot of stuff happened in between. But yeah, I think that's what led me up to it. Just 
when you create and you listen to other things and go back and create and listen to other things, it starts to give you a, a sense of just like what you can do with your talent and how you can like how you can build with other people. Well, you expand out a little bit, right? So you, from what you were saying, you went to school, you went to college in DC then? Yeah. Uh-huh. I went to Howard University. Yep. Okay. And then that's where you started seeing and start your, that, that bug in your ear grows and grows and grows. Yeah. Cause now you're getting exposed to a little bit more stuff, right? This is the weird thing about that. I love Howard University. I'm going to love the people there, but I mean, to keep it all the way 100, it was like a BT rap city video every day there. Like, and there are a couple of people who want to be like Diddy. I didn't want to be yeah. like Diddy. I wanted to be Artemis. That was all. It was so crazy. I, I was in this battle uh, a couple of times called Verbal Armageddon. And I was severely either loved or hated in that battle because <laughs> I was I was trying to do so much crazy stuff in those battles. Like, right. I remember one time I was trying out. This probably wouldn't fly today. I, I know I'd get in trouble if I did this today. But I was freestyling. And it was like, the way they did this, you had to do a song, and then you had to say what you could off the top. Okay. So while I was off the top improvising, I was sitting there going around the room. This girl literally has her breasts showing for the whole world to see. Like, she, she's not covering up. She meant to do this. She just doesn't care. And she doesn't care. <laughs> I said something like, my style sticks out like that girl's cleavage, and I pointed. Everyone's like, oh! <laughs> they were like, yeah, yeah, hear him, pin him in the, yeah. So, like stuff like that, I do. I remember one time I lost in the first round because of the song I had. But then I was freestyling. I was kind of like I was mad. I didn't. I was doing. A, I was spitting a lot of filler bars. Okay. I booed me. I freestyled about the guy booing me. Shut him up. Everybody laughed in the audience. <laughs> I wound up going to the second round. I was so mad. <laughs> I jumped in the crowd looking for this person. I was like, I was like, who booed me? Who said that? <laughs> looking for that fool that's so funny so how it was a very unique experience in itself and i endured and <laughs> and being from nashville so, so okay now <laughs> <laughs> this is where it gets real so i had some homies from from la and i was telling my man from la this that's like my brother i was telling him, i was like man they made me so mad with those jokes they had for me being from nashville you're talking about like do you ride horses and all i was like man <laughs> I will drop you off in the wrong part of town. You won't know it. <laughs> I hated that because everybody, like, they have it all already, you know? You, right. You're not that far from Central Gav. You get it. Like, at LA, you know, like, you you see Capitol Records driving by. Nashville is Dollywood. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a different aesthetic, isn't it? Cool, man. Y'all gonna, like, run on me? Really? I hated that. <laughs> So it was a uphill battle, man. But I looking back on it, it was a lot of fun, though. It was a lot of laughs. Like Howard was like a, a world by itself, man. But like DC, like as far as the music goes, I just learned so much from it. U Street, I mean, it was dangerous at times, but it was so fun. <laughs> I'm sure. Oh my god! Like Copper House, Erico, State of the U, Metro Gallery. Matter of fact, like Copper House. This is a funny story I tell quite a bit. At Coffee House, they used to be these uh, open mic hip-hop shows from time to time in the middle of the week. Mm-hmm. I want to say it was either Tuesday or Wednesday. One time we went over there, all the rappers that usually be there, we were all outside. 
all the, well, not even just rappers, DJ, all that. He was outside. It was like a rock band playing inside or whatever. We didn't know what was going on. I was like, what? So we just started, we was outside freestyling, kicking it. There was only one white dude out there. Like, he, was, he looked like he belonged with the, he was with the show. It turned out it was Ian McKay. Oh, shit. Yeah, Ian McKay. <laughs> and we started chopping it up talking. And I felt dumb because I, I lost his, I don't know how this happened, but I lost his number. He gave you his number? Yeah. This is like late 90s, early 2000s. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, we had a, we chopped it up because he was trying to find out more about the hip-hop scene that was going on around then. There were a lot of things happening in the State of the Union that a lot of people don't, didn't really know. In Amos Morgan, I would go to Yogi's for the open mic there on Fridays. Okay. And a lot of people don't know about Yogi's, but the, they had to know about Yogi's because that was a spot like they were selling CDs and everything. But like when they put that mic on, it was on a cracking. A lot of people, it was pretty dope. But yeah, Ian McKay, man, he was trying to find out more. Like, I remember him telling me this. I was like, oh, I've seen him since. And I don't know if I've told him that story, but I think he did remember me, though. You're going to have to, like, let him know the whole thing eventually. Yeah. I'm sure you're going to be able to run into him again. He he seems like he pops oh, around all over the city. Good dude, man. He's cool. I've seen him at uh, Fort Reno. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've definitely seen him over there at Fort Reno. And we've talked because, I mean, Jerry Busher, who's played drums for him, I've done yeah. stuff with Jerry Busher. Like, that's that's, like... That's the homie. Like that's the real life homie. Yeah, I chopped it up with him. I was mad though. I wanted to get. I wanted to get up with him. I was like, man, I could be, could be a rapper on Discord Records. Yeah, yeah. I didn't put that together till later though. I was like, <laughs> of course not. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't even know who he was. So that's hilarious. Yeah, he did. Like I got put on the Fugazi pretty late. That's so funny because some of their later stuff has more like electronic. End hits is is one. I think that's their last okay. record that has a little bit more of a digital aspect to it here and there it's cool but it's also just like it's an interesting way to to see some of their their music kind of evolve into that a little bit right i am such a big fan of it one of the bands that i interviewed brothers creeper okay jr did this whole paper his college paper on hardcore and the suburban culture and hardcore as a culture and all this other stuff. So he was in a library in DC or something. Uh And then just looking at some of the old zines from there. And then Ian McKay pops in and was like, Hey, what's your, what's your region there, bud? (laughs) You want to talk about it? And he talked to him for like an hour. Yeah. And I'm just like looking at him and I'm like, why, why don't I have that interaction? Like I, I want to be able to be like part of the cool kids. I know he's such a good dude, man. Cool guy. <laughs> I, I, it's funny. There's so many people I've met on the scene, but man, I'll never forget that night. He just kind of like came in. We were just like, he stood out too. We were just like, yeah. who's this guy? Like, <laughs> like at the time we're all like, I mean, we're not like extra baggy clothes, but we're all, you know, out there looking like, you know, something about to go down. Right. He comes out like, hey, what's up? We're just like, he's he's kicking it with us. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> it was a trip. That That is awesome. All right. So around 2011, 2012, you start getting more blended into some of the, the actual full bands, right? I think so. And, you know, it's kind of blurry, too, because cause I, I had, there was the Farks P group I was in with Arnell and Flex Matthews. And then we had Fleetwood DeVille. We had uh, Redhead in it, too. And we had put out a couple of projects. 
So yeah, it had to be within that cluster because we've been working towards that for a while. Dang, if it wasn't 2011 to 12, it had to be 2013 um, when I was got when I got out with Lucky So and So. We had a pretty good run. We and you know what's crazy? We still we're still around, but it's like just me, Ian, Orin, Levon. Um, shouts to him. We're we're still trying to put something together. Yeah, like we had a lot of good times. It was just hard to maintain that many people in a band. Yeah, because you had like twenty of them or something <laughs> at one point. It's one point, yeah. I mean, <laughs> our Kennedy Center show was great. That was probably the one big highlight. But it was just like it was just too too many moving pieces. You know, it could happen. Yeah, and it's funny. I'm wrapped up in another band that's like that. But I'm trying to make it the last band I'm in. Like this, with a lot of people, but I love them. Like uh, strangers that click, and that's been a yeah. very, very amazing experience. Because the way we write has been pretty, has been pretty productive, and we all like talk with each other. We have a good time, man. I, and that came together because I did Funk Parade okay. a couple of years back. I did the freestyle um, on the street, and that was wow. You talk about something that I wanted to do this year. Like I didn't get to do right. it last year because there was no funding for it. But the year before, man, we we had a lot of people like gravitating towards us. So again, it was me, my, me, my brother Arnell. Uh, we put together and had our homie uh, Black Math, who was a very dope producer on the beats. Dior Ashley Brown came through. She was doing, okay. she was doing a show. She came through, got the kick it, kick it with the Queen. Flex came out. He took some pictures too. We just vibed, man. The drummer, um, Reuven, he saw us like doing our thing. He wanted to, I want to say he gave Flex his card and wanted to get up with him, but Flex couldn't do it because Flex, he got too much, he got too much going on already. Yeah. He's got a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. So I was just like, you know what? I'll see what's up with this. Cause I didn't, it wasn't like I didn't have too much already, but I was like, you know what? We'll just see what happens. I got up with Reuven. We talked a couple of times. And he started putting together the pieces. And so, you know, he got this person that could play bass. He got this person that could sing. He got this person that could, like, do percussion or whatever. And then after a while, we started blending everything together. We did a couple of practices at my old place. And um, Brent went when I was staying with uh, Aaron Frisbee from Bell Six. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'd known her for for quite some time. So when I was in, the, in that house, we did a couple of practices. and trials and it took us about i want to say a month and a half to come up with the name because there were just so many names out there (laughs) your name now just kind of sums up everything doesn't it yeah exactly we had to figure it out so actually chris and aaron they're trying to give us some suggestions everybody was trying to put in put in suggestions and i was like what blinds us together so strangers they click and i put it out there they're like oh like it okay yeah put together got Selena, shout out to Selena from um, more FM the AM in the 06. She actually put together the um, the logo and the rest is history, man. And we started building up. Took us some time to get shows, but we kept just plugging at it. I dig it. So when you're going to Howard, you're doing a lot of battles and stuff like that yeah. there, uh-huh. right? Are you doing solo shows there too? Uh, how- not necessarily there. I mean, they're like showcases open. Okay. Because that's that's what it sounded like that you were doing a lot of like uh, open mics starting up, yeah. And then did you really start playing shows when you got uh, like lucky so and sos together? Uh, yeah. So it, it's kind of also it's complicated. 
I was featured on, on quite a few open mics. Okay. And I didn't know the area well enough to be like, let, let me book here, let me book there. Right. I couldn't really figure out where to go. For example, <laughs> this is a funny example. I would go to State of Union and I would just be ready for this. Um, there was this open mic, these guys called Flip the Script Entertainment with uh, Run. And it mm-hmm. was like crazy hood. It was like crazy. Like, it's like <laughs> you had homies from uptown, you had like people from Southeast, all like all kinds of people. Nobody knew me. And I would just like consider that a show for myself. But I wouldn't promote it like a show, but I, to me, it's like a show. So like I would just perform up there for maybe a little bit and then just like go home because my wife wasn't really gravitating towards me. They didn't know me. So right. it would be stuff like that or like maybe stuff at like Bar None. Okay. When I would go up there sometimes, do open mic. So my first actual solo performances hadn't been at Cap City Records. Had okay. Been. When Cap City Records was doing True School, shout out to my True School alum. You know, we got it like that's where it really I think that's where it really started happening for me. I dig it. Okay. I'm trying to get kind of like the the idea of the overall scene that you were kind of starting out in well, and what it's kind of turned into now because they've you've kind of grown into um a different different kind of look to where you're you're being part of these bigger groups yeah. and now those are the ones that are, are getting more shows and, and you're able to actually like get more exposure out there too, which I, I think is interesting for me. And this might be the same for a lot of other people. When we think about hip hop and full bands, we think about something like the roots. Oh, completely, yeah. So it's cool seeing where it was like a natural progression for you to go into these bigger groups and be like, well, we can all get together and we can all jam together and we can do whatever we want to. And there's no like real restrictions on anything. Yeah. It took a minute. I mean, that was one thing I forgot to mention in the early days of me learning how to rap for a short amount of time. I would freestyle over drum and bass too. And jungle. Okay. And house. I feel like that's difficult. Yeah. And it wasn't, but see, the thing is it wasn't like out in public in public. Like when, okay. Cause I, I sort of try to go into the rave thing a little bit because they were, because they were like getting hip hop artists to go to those raves. So I was like, Oh yeah, this is cool. You know, all these people in Jinko pants and anime shirts. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and it just wasn't, it, it was like, it was cool, but it was like definitely not always my bag, you know? Yeah. I just don't think that those beats are designed to be wrapped over. Yeah. Like they're designed to just like, keep the drugs pumping and like the <laughs> you dancing i feel like right oh yeah completely <laughs> it, it was super fun though i mean i did it a couple of times because that because they kind of influenced my idea about making music too like you can be you can be weird in that way if you want yeah yeah, yeah. and i think that kind of like helped me with like working with the band before i did get up with lucky so-and-so so my brother i keep on arm now he's like been my road dog me and him linked up on u street and like, you know, we were just able to like connect and bond and we were trying to do a lot of music together. Flex, he knew Jerry Busher from something else. I can't remember. But like uh, okay. I knew Jerry Busher because my my homeboy, my my brother from another who I went to Howard with, my man Harry Harry Hada, who was like a, a pr- very prominent DJ around DC, he was actually staying with Jerry Busher in his old house on Ingleside. Okay. 
which is um in Mount Pleasant, basically. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember how we linked up, but we we had been trying to like do stuff with uh, Jerry Busher for a minute. I want to say way after my homeboy Harry moved out, we we wound up getting together with um with Jerry. Flex could never make it. It was always something weird. He couldn't make it. And Jerry was doing a lot of stuff with Hash from uh, Thievery Corporation. Okay. He used to live here. That's so crazy that you, you have these big names that are just like, you don't even think about it because you're, you're just... Yeah, it's, it's weird. Now, looking back on it, it is pretty strange because I was like, Hash is just a rock star. He's cool. Jerry Jerry, <laughs> the, Jerry knows what we're doing. Like, we still have some of those recordings later on, running around. I want to I hear more of them. Um, yeah. Jerry released, he released one of them that we did. We had, the, we had a song called Today in the Paper. So even though Flex couldn't come through, we got this cat, Navi, who's done a lot of stuff. He's been more based in like the theater side things. But okay. he, we did a we did a few shows with him. Used to be in a, a collective with him called Delegation. But before okay. all that, he came by, we did a couple of songs together called the Ingleside Collective. And we did some dope stuff, man. I mean, we had, our last show was at, um, Dang, it was at this, it's a, it's an art space that's closed down now. There was in, um, golly, where was that at? It was in Roslyn. I can't think of the name of the place right now. Okay. It was a big, this big art space. And that was the last show we had to play. And I'm, I'm sad that we can, didn't get to do yeah. more. But that was a dope live experience because it was just us three, me, Arnell, Navi, and uh, Jerry on drums, and Navi, uh, um, Hash on bass. That's wild. You're just like a low key, uh, low key rock star, and you don't even know it. Like that's, <laughs> that's that's fantastic. Right now, you have uh, strangers that click, and then you have a whole bunch of other projects going on too. Yeah. You've released a couple solo stuff too, yeah, which is fantastic. Thank you. I think you released that last year or the year before. This year, I released Astro Blocks with my man Hike Cage from Baltimore. It's on Cold Ron, Ron's Records. I just put the uh, vinyl CDRs that we had that we got made. Put those on sale today. Um, Strangers to Click. We we dropped technically our second EP, Fight Nice, back in March last year. I didn't do too much because I got sick and it was like crazy. Right. But I did put out a couple of EPs. It was basically the Limbo series. Like we started with in route to Limbo, then stuck in Limbo and leaving Limbo, and I was gearing up to try to do more stuff throughout the rest of the year, but I was just going through it just with my health yeah. at the time. Better now. Before that, I want to say there was, um, it was a broken hearted 90 season. Yeah. 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 I dropped that. I dropped two versions of it. I had the, I can't replace me series. That was like years before. There's a couple of, I know there's, I'm missing some. Oh, so the project I put out towards the end of, 2016 was on Fake Four, a part of the Free Simple series. Thanks, thanks for your honesty, liar. Shout out to my man Chesky for making that happen. Chesky Ramos is a force to reckon with in music. Yeah, that guy's a beast. Truly, man. Okay. This is a story <laughs> I do have to tell. Okay. Shout out to my man Icon of Mike King, who I went to Howard with. If it wasn't for him, this wouldn't have been possible because we got linked up with him, me and a couple of the homies from LA. He went to school with Chesky, basically, or they grew up together. I can't remember. But we linked up with him when him and his brother were doing Anonymous Inc. way back in the day. And I remember going to their house, and they were just playing instruments, 
and they were rapping. Just, I was amazed by them. I was like, what right in the world. And Ch- and like Chesky was dope then, but but he what, what what he's like now is a different. He's a different animal. Right, right, right. But he was dope then. I think what happened was when I went there with a couple of people, we laid down our verses. It was like, all right, whatever. I actually went back up by myself for some reason. I took a bus up there and, and I actually spent the night at Chesky's house, I want to say. If I didn't do that, I came back. I laid a verse down on the Anonymous Inc. record that they put out. And like it was, and it became like a classic later on, like that record. That's amazing. Yeah, people look for that. And it's funny because me and Chesky reunited years later. And this is when he started pop. I didn't even know he ran fake four records. Right. One thing a lot of people didn't know about me is that I kept up a lot with those, with that side of the game where it was like, you had Anacon, you had uh, Rhyme Sayers, because like a friend of mine just had a bunch of those, dubs of those tapes and would give them to me. A man, a mall who I went to college with, he was like, oh yeah, you seem you like, you seem like you would like this here. Yeah, yeah. I got like music for Earthworms by Aesop Rock on tape. There you go. Yeah. Like, and that's leading me to finding his website and ordering the original copy of uh, Appleseed. Very cool. So all that stuff, it, it traces back to that. And then like, Years later, you know, I'm finding out Chesky's the homie like that, like on the scene, like he's going crazy. And somehow we just, we got linked up just like through the internet again, wound up like trying to hook up shows for him, hooked up quite a few shows for him in DC. I'm thankful for him helping me out, man. You know, I'm I'm glad he's at where he's at, man. He's a good dude, man. Yeah. The idea of writing with your own projects versus writing with these other projects that you've been a part of that are a little bit more of a collective. Is there a different way that you approach each of them? Writing with a group of MCs, sometimes you got to like collaborating in a way where you're making space for them and making sure you have your own space. I feel like that's important. Um, one song that Fox P did, which is one of my favorites, is called, it's a song called For You produced by the legendary Kevin Brown. So that song, I start the song off in my verse. It's kind of like a, um, a mini hook into okay. a verse. So I did that because I wanted to, um, I wrote so much on that record. Not everybody wants to write to every beat. I wrote to almost every beat on the record. All right. I made sure there was room for the homies to get on that. And so it wasn't like a thing of me just being like, let me hog up the track. It's like, nah, nah, you got to make your space for that. Right. So sometimes you like like that. And then sometimes you have to be the the anchor where you just close out the song and you have the crazy verse that, that closes it. Yeah. You know, you if you if you kick back and listen to a band or just listen to like instrumentalists in general, you'll learn about the spaces and pockets of music. And you think about... Like I say, I can say for me, I think about what a voice can do rhythmically over it, um, whether it's singing or rapping. I try to apply that to every time I'm with a band. Sometimes, sometimes people in a band will get it wrong with the rapping. They think, "Oh yeah, you can rap over this and just play something." Like, <laughs> I don't sound right. What are you playing? Yeah, it's not even like rhythmically challenging or anything. You're just like, nah, nah that ain't gonna work, buddy. It's a little bit different, right? So, and I think what you what you said as far as like making your voice that rhythmic instrument is very, yeah. very important. There was the the group Bad, Bad, Not Good, I think is what they're called. Yes, they're dope. Yes, but that record that they did with Ghostface is amazing. Yes, it is. So that was really cool to be able to see something like that where, especially for me, like seeing Ghostface like embrace 
that too was was really cool because mm-hmm. uh, he's just been around forever. Like you don't think you're gonna get a, a new spin on anything. Having that that c- kind of like consciousness part of hey, I'm part of this whole group. Yeah, is completely different than hey, let me lay down a beat and you can do whatever you want to with it, right? You know, Ghostface is just one of those like guys, man. You know, you you could tell he taught what he lived. You might not have understood the slang, but you got what he meant when he's talking about some raviolis and you know shells and all that. You you knew he was talking about some work he was doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you could tell he lived that life, but he also expanded his mind beyond what his environment was, and he made the best of it. And like that bad, bad, not good record. Oh my God, that record is so dope, man. It's one of the things that has come out recently that has just like completely taken me aback because it's just A, it's they're a jazz band for the yeah. most part. Uh-huh. You know, like all the other records that they've had, they're all been instrumentals, but it's all been like jazz, jazzy stuff for the most part and weird stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff, man. And then to have that like go with Ghostface, that that was the last one that I would have thought that would have gone with with that group. Yeah, man, it's just good to see like, and like, and another thing too with Ghostface, like a lot of rappers like him and like Monch and like, oh yeah, shout out to Organized Confusion, especially Prince Poe. I, I see him online. We we conversate from time to time, man. Like seeing those those guys like. They, they've been around for so long and they continue to still make music. Like that's one of the greatest things that we can do or what this music is show that, you know, there can be adult contemporary hip hop and content with, within the confines of this genre. Because a lot of people always say, you know, hip hop is a young man's game. I never believed that because, you know, a lot of adults make the choices for the youngs. You know what I'm saying? They, yeah. They'll tell a young kid what they like before they even know it. Right. Through marketing. So I kind of figured like seeing like OGs, triple, quadruple OGs, <laughs> they've been doing it for a minute. You know, it's good to see them just kind of like progress and then influence people like myself yeah. and my, my, my fam around, you know. Well, you talk about like De La Soul, who's been around for fucking ever and are still doing it. Postures is one of my favorite rappers ever. And I feel like Dave is the most underrated lyricist, under, very underrated. And it's crazy. I could see that. Yeah, they like that's that's like my favorite group. But I love, I mean, of course, I love Tribe. I've always been a Jungle Brothers fan. De La, man, they 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 spoke that they spoke that that truth that I like to hear, man. You got you got to love it. Like that's I don't get to talk about hip hop nearly as much as I want to, <laughs> because most of my friends just don't listen to it anymore, and uh, it makes me sad. And like I, I used to work, like right now I work in St. Mary's. Oh, work. I used to work in Lanham and like more closer to DC where those kids are listening to the stuff that I like. Then I could actually talk about it. And now I'm all the way back in St. Mary's and they're just like, we know Drake. Like (laughs) that's, that's about it. I was like, Oh, well this, this whole sucks. I got into a lot of arguments with my homeboy Piff. Uh, Shots to him. We get into arguments about Drake. (laughs) It's stupid. (laughs) I, I, I mean, you know what? Let me say this. When Drake can rap, and wants to rap, he will rap. Sometimes he does stuff. I'm just like, ah, I don't know about that. Now that that dark, what was that demos thing he put out just recently? I, I did like some of that. Though. He got a couple of joints in there. I'm like, okay, Drake, you, you trying to get back in your bag? I see. Yeah, I've uh, I've avoided it with a passion. So it's no, you know what? And I don't. It's okay. I don't blame. <laughs> I don't blame. Him. Every times I just give it a chance, like, oh no, I, 
It's it's fun, right? Not every type of music is for every mood, and not every type of music is for everybody. That's just right. what it is. That's right. What might be interesting too is that recording difference between recording with a full band and yeah. then recording mostly by yourself. I yeah. assume is that a big difference for you, and is that that experience completely something that you approach with a different look? It's and that's a good question. That's actually so. I didn't do that many recordings with Lucky So and So is like that. We did it like we broke it down separately on um, where we recorded. When we go to film and it's film in Mendelssohn's house um, in Virginia, like the drums and the bass and the guitar would lay down something. The vocals would come through later, like on a different day, if we could make it. Sure. But see what strangers it click. We were just fortunate enough, like our old bass player, he got his brother that can record live to record us in my old place in Brentwood in the living room. Because the living room, they set it up to where Fuzz Queen could rehearse, the 06 could rehearse, and sometimes Strangers the Click would rehearse or whatever, where it was set up. One day, we just blocked off. a. Actually, we did this two different days. We blocked off a day where we could just knock out like four songs in a day. We actually, the first time we did it, we did our very first demo EP. Like we knocked out our first few songs that we written together. And then we shot a video. Okay. Performance video. Then we did a photo shoot. It was like an all day process. I was tired. <laughs> I was so tired. But it that was, sounds like a lot of work. Oh, but it was fun though. The way your stuff came out, I was happy about that. We did it again, almost in the same sentiment, but our vocalist, um, Alice, she was sick mm-hmm. when we did it the second time. So get her back in. She had to do some um, some separate vocals. I had to go in and layer some stuff I felt needed to be like fixed. And we actually had some ex- extra stuff on the. Uh, and so we did that back in. I want to say we did that back in November or October. It's one of the two. But yeah, um, the the aesthetic of recording by yourself versus that is is definitely like so different. Like when I'm recording by myself. I mean, these days lately, I've been recording myself in my house. And then taking it to a studio, getting it mixed down. Sure. Because now I have a decent enough mic. I use Logic Pro X. Yeah. I have a Sapphire Sapphire 420. It's a Focusrite um, interface. I could just go into, and it just works. Like, and it clear it comes out clear enough to where, when I go to a studio, they can just like depending on what kind of studio it is, they can like get rid of stuff and fix it the way I right. Need. So lately, so like a matter of fact, for this. Um, for the next two EPs I'm going to drop later this year, it's going to have that. It's going to be the same process. Okay. So record it a little bit at home and then get out to a studio, let them clean it up. Right. And actually, so I'm not sure when this project is going to come out. It's supposed to come out sometime in the summer, but me and my brother, Arno, we did a whole project, kind of like a compilation kind of project with um, the Dirty Church, which is like Tim, Tim Hicks from Cornell West Theory. Nice. Okay. He's produced all the beats and he's like old beats I had of his and some beats that Arnell had of his. And um he recorded like a bunch of stuff already. I had a few tracks recorded and Rennell came with the idea to just put our songs together and make it kind of like a, a compilation. The way I recorded that was at the house. Our homeboy K Murdoch, shouts to him by the way. I knew him from Howard. K Murdoch, who's been who's like nerdcore stardom. Cause he's been doing <laughs> stuff with Megan Rand and everything. Everybody knows him from that. He's, he's been, he's the man. Yeah. <laughs> he's been the man for a minute. He um, mixed down uh, the whole project and uh, gave it a good twist. So 
That's fantastic. You worked with uh, Ron over at Night Sky too, didn't you? Yes, Ron. Uh, yeah, shouts to Ron from Night Sky. Yeah. Great guy. I just thought it was cool because I never realized that he was doing so much different stuff. And then next thing I, I see is that you're down there recording stuff. So this is the funny thing. I didn't start doing any solo stuff at Ron's until like recently. A lot of tracks that I had over there at first were like, since I did a lot of production for Night Train 357, he would go there and record and like have the tracks done there. I would go there every once in a while to kind of kick it because okay. it was just way too far. It's in Waldorf and I got it the whip. So too far. There was a Drop Lockers project we recorded there. Okay. So that was me, Arnell, and uh, Edward As is. Shout out to Edward, part of Cabal Core. We would go out there and do, we knocked that project out there. So a lot of times it was like a bunch of like collaborative efforts stuff for other people, mainly for Night Train 357, because I did like his first two to three projects, a majority of them. Okay. But now recently I've been like figuring out, you know, how to get up there myself. Yeah. And then I just like make it happen. I I dig it. It was, it was just a cool, like little kind of small world together. Cause uh, it's not something that I thought about ever is like people coming down been Ron Vento has been around for fucking years and years and years. Yeah. It was just a, a neat little thing to see like all the worlds kind of collide for a second for me. Cause I, I saw oh, yeah. you down there and then I've seen a couple other people that are down there and I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. Ron, Ron does a lot. And I just didn't realize it. Good dude, man. Very professional, super cool, super cool to talk to. He'll, Talking to him, you'll you always learn something. Yeah, if if you want to just like hear him continue to talk and talk and talk, just put a microphone in <laughs> front of him and, and he'll do that too. And he is dead on with like what he says too. Like I just like you all. <laughs> <laughs> you wild dude. That's my dog yeah, though. You yeah, wild dude. I love it. He's just a, a genius sound wise. Like I, t- I pick up gems from him all the time when I, I go down there. Like he'll just tell me, yeah. Next time when you bring the track in, you know, do this, do that. And I'm like, all right, all right, cool. It sounds like, too, then you're still learning everything, too, to, like, learn how to record and learn how to create as well, for the most part, too, right? Man, I learned a long time ago. You never stop learning. There you go. I had to keep going, especially when you start doing your own production. The fact that I'm doing my own production just shows that, you know, you can't always depend on somebody to provide you with the, the beats. Yeah. It's like you'd like to. And you know, and it, and it worked out because um, I have that thing synthesis. Well, what's it called synthesis or whatever. You see colors in the music. Okay. So I definitely know I have it because every time I hear music, I think of a color or something. I see a pattern. That is wild. Okay. Yeah, it's trippy. Yeah, it's very trippy, and it makes sense for me to get into production after a while. But just matching matching what I see in here with what I want to make it that took a while. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's a long process. But see, with somebody like Ron, Ron has such an engineer, an engineer's approach to this stuff. You're going to learn from him. He's like, hearing stuff in the track, he's like, okay, this sounds clipped. You need to read da 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 This sounds da, This sounds like kind of, he's good at like pointing out what needs to be done with some of that. You know? Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. I like that. Yeah, that gives you a little bit more kind of like that, the rigidity and, and gives you like an idea of what you need to actually execute. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Very, very cool. Okay. So I also know that you have a couple different projects that you're working on now, right? So yeah, Astro Blocks came out with Hype, um, Fight Nights with Strangers uh, of Click. Um, yeah, I'm putting out two EPs this um, this fall. It's like going to be, it's going to be like a, um, 
leading up to a, a project in the future. So Angel's EP is coming out and the Devil's EP is coming out like kind of back to back. And then I'm going to take the rest of the time to get two n- newer projects going. So I have some hidden collaborative projects okay. like in the cut and those aren't, I'm not going to like put those out there yet to okay. the world until they're like fully done. But I'm going to tell you this there after these two EPs, you'll get two fooling, fooling albums from me next year. Good Lord. Okay. So you apparently just don't sleep. You just rap <laughs> and then that's it, right? Just maybe go to work. So I'll sleep, eat, rap, uh, one oh eight. sleep, eat, work, Rap, work, rap, eat, <laughs> sleep, occasionally date. Who has time for relationships when there's so many words to, to spit, right? I know, right? <laughs> and sometimes women want to date you when it comes to that stuff. Or people want to date you. I don't know. I don't know. It's a different world. I don't know how to put it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, especially especially with like being on a lockdown. It's a completely different thing. Yeah, exactly. You know what? And that's part of what it is, too, now that I've been... Now that we've been in this pandemic, I've been able to just really flesh out a lot of stuff that I haven't been able to do for a while. Like, like that's part of the reason why this project isn't even getting knocked out like it is, because I didn't think I'd have the time. To- Which is a big, big thing yeah. for me, too. But you have the time now, right? Yes. And I didn't have that for a very long time. Even my weekends were a little shot. I mean, and it's amazing that I was able to get some of that stuff done. I was There was a time. Back to what I was saying earlier about doing stuff with uh, DJ Metaphysical, when I knocked out three projects at the same time at his studio, I was working from like 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. at one point at a job I had, and it was nuts. Yeah. I was barely sleeping, but I would go in. We would do our project, A Day in the Life of Modern Day Living. We would knock that out. But then the Artur Plus project I had with my homeboy, uh, Double Plus, he goes by Slurgeon now on the West Coast. We knocked that out. I don't want to say very quickly, but we knocked it out pretty swiftly. Okay. There was my solo. I took some time. I had a production from Love Doug. Uh, I had a production from my homeboy Doug Lazy. Shout out to Doug Lazy, who was like a who was like iconic in the hip house world. And that took some time. Yeah. So knocking out three projects at the same time. And I think was I in a relationship? I might have been. I don't remember. <laughs> but I know that I had yeah everything just kind of blends together for a second doesn't it <laughs> oh completely you know it just it really does like battles music uh, yeah it's just it, it's all like, I, I say all the time i just i have no idea how time works because it I, I don't know what stages of life are anymore like i know stuff happened <laughs> but i can't tell you a thing about it yeah, it's like rick and morty man like like different universes and time right, traveling. right right and you just go into another one and where, where you're burying your yourself so that's that's something that show is so wild like that i rewatched rick and morty during the pandemic that episode i want to say it was like the the eighth episode or something like that it was it was or maybe even like the third episode where they kill themselves and bury themselves it's just yeah that fucking was wild to have that oh, such like an early part of the series completely and it's not like a, a season finale or anything it's just like you go into another part of the show after that. Yeah, it's wow. Yeah. I love the Mises episode. That was, that's a clip. Yeah, yeah. Mises, like that was Jerry funny. sucks so much. <laughs> yeah, Jerry's so bad. He's, he's terrible. 
<laughs> Poor Jerry. <laughs> well, we're talking about, you know, you, you're you're working so much, you're, you're trying to balance all that stuff out. Yeah. This pandemic is sometimes good for people, sometimes not great for people. It sounds like for you, it's, it's kind of lets you finish loose ends for the most part and and really push to to get these projects out right man like my days are just long and drawn out man like the way i work i don't want to go into it it's just like let's just say i live in dc and i have to go all the way far out in maryland to work luckily they let me work from home so that's been a blessing but you know i work at xm too so there are late nights there so in sports but you know sports are kind of done for now yeah it's still hooking us up well, like we're, we're going to go back to work soon. It's still hooking us up. That alleviated me time to even not only get together my projects, even to work on this whole thing with streaming now. Right. Get my life together in that sense. And it's been very good for me because after those projects I did at, Metaf- at the studio Metaphysical, I was able to link up with Odyssey at one point. I caught him at a good time. Yeah. And I bought a couple of beats from him like at the time. You- so I did that. And this is how I put together the whole I Can't Replace Me series because. K. Murdoch, my brother from way back in the day at Howard, I was able to record with him on these projects. I mean, I recorded like 20 tracks with him. It's crazy. Or some 27 tracks. That was over a span of a couple of years because I was trying to do a big album and just drop it and not drop anything for a couple of years. I was like, yeah, this is all you get for now. <laughs> I don't care. And it was crazy because I got I got C's mics. Yeah. Shouts to him, man. One one of the people who pushed my pen, who who's made me rethink what I what I should rap. <laughs> Cause he's that, right. that damn good. You know. I have C's mics on it, Allison Carney, who I adore talent like with a talent. Slim Cat seventy eight from the nineteen seventy eighters, a staple in the hip hop production and just the community here. We're gonna have to make a list of all the names that you've said in this episode and just make sure everybody says it or go sees them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know what's funny? And I have to say this in case a friend of mine hears this. I've been told that I named name dropped too much by a friend of mine, Erica. And it's like, I can't help it if I know all these people. Like, it doesn't, it just happens. Like, you can't hate on me because I know all these people. Yeah, yeah. I just know. Yeah, I'm just a cool guy. Everybody comes to me. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I don't know what to say. Yeah, you should you should be just like happy to be in my presence. It's okay. Like Yeah, <laughs> that's what I tell them next time. Nah, like I, I name dropped you, aren't you happy? happy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know I name dropped you. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> now nah, that was I was like working like yeah. crazy too. Like I would go to his house, record. Dang, I probably do two or three songs. Might revise them another day. I would go straight to XM to work that evening. And this would be a Saturday. We're not even talking like yeah, it was it was crazy days, but I I definitely made time for myself too. You just can't always think you can you can't just let your passion drive you to the point where you're not listening to your body. Yeah, you can't burn out or else you'll you'll get sick. Like your your health can be at, at risk, right? Yeah, man, you gotta watch it. And that's and that's what happened to me last year. Like, I mean, it was a freak accident. It was one of the craziest things, but I needed to rest. Yeah. I needed to get my life together. I need to I needed to just take a time out. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to do it. I'll, I'll never forget. So I used to book shows down in St. Mary's all the time. Mm-hmm. And I was working for Pepsi at the time, too. So oh, okay. when when I worked for Pepsi, I would have to be out, out the door by four o'clock in the morning. Oh, no. That was early, to say the least. I just remember, you know, one one of the days I'm, I'm working all throughout the day and then trying to set up a last minute show and all this other stuff. 
and then try to like scramble everything. And it all came to a head where my body just kind of like quit. And I ended up falling asleep while I'm driving to the venue. And then, yeah. And then I ended up hitting uh, another car and all this other stuff. And I'm just like that, that idea of like not pushing yourself so much all the time. Like you have to rest is such an important thing that I didn't even see until something like that happened. Oh, completely. Oh my God. I, I'm glad you're all right, man. Like, yeah, it was, it was, it was a wild thing, man. Uh, I, I live life dangerously. <laughs> I got rear ended in 2015 and then almost like two years on the date later, I got rear ended on 2017. Jesus, man. What are you going to do? I'm, o- I'm always in pain and I always just, uh, try to sleep. That's, that's how that works. Yeah. It's crazy, <laughs> man. I'm glad you're all right though, man. For real. I can sit down. It's fine. That's, that's all right. Yeah. As long as you can, that's good. Yeah, you sit down, stand up, you look cool. Right. There you go. So we'll we'll wrap up with this. Right. What do you think motivates you the most to continue pursuing music? I feel like you know I just haven't ran out of things to say yet. I don't know what it is. I haven't run out of things to say or or things to create. And I thought it used to be just like adversity. People telling me I can't do this. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'll show you. I can do. I used to think it was that, but it's not that anymore. I did get off on making music to make people mad because I would make it the way I wanted to. And it might not have been that perception, but people, other people gravitated like, yeah, yeah, that's it. Right. And other people like, well, you know, like, and they would be mad because I'm doing it. I was like, that's not a good reason to do the music. It's funny. And it's fun (laughs) for me. It's not very progressive, actually. So I had to think about, like, you know what, let me look at a different way about it. And I was like, yeah, I just haven't run out of things I want to say. I like it. So what do you think is the, the biggest thing that you learned about yourself throughout your music journey? You know, I learned that I can go against the odds if I choose to. I learned that I've been in a lot of positions of doing what I do, being outnumbered or being the odd man out at a lot of times, you know, and I realized that's taught me to stand my ground and stick to my guns. It won't always put you in the best position with people. Learning that about myself, it kind of just, it kind of helped me, like, helped me grow. It made me be like, you know what? I didn't sell out. I didn't go against the things that I believe. And it helped me continue on this journey because there are people who I definitely remember just building with, talking with, doing shows with, and all this. And they just have the biggest hype behind them. Yeah. They have so and so doing this for them, so and so doing that for them. And I don't have any of that. I just have, me and maybe a couple of friends of mine at the time, they're going to help. And some of those people just completely lost sight of doing this. They become other things. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you can see, well, some of them, I can see that disappointment. I can see that that point of where they're just like, dang, I didn't get to make it. I didn't get to point B, so I'm going to stay at point A. Right. And it's just like, why would you do that? There's more ways to do this. With like the DIY ethic from like the punk scene yeah. influencing me. And and seeing how it was done in like the hip hop rap scene, I learned a lot from that. That made me like be like, you know what? I could stand on my own and go against the odds. That's fine. I love it. That's a good way to wrap up. And I, I think that's uh, blending those two worlds together where you see that, that hip hop scene and then that DIY ethic, which really just, you don't realize that it just takes over. Oh, yeah, exactly. It becomes such a big part of you that you're just like, fuck it, I can do it. Yeah, exactly. Like, let's get it done. Let's make it happen, yeah. 